There cannot be a more pertinent time than now to be real about evil. As a country, we've experienced three terror attacks in the last three months, killing 35 people, injuring many more, and leaving long-lasting trauma to an even greater number of people who were involved or affected in many different ways. The UK terror threat is currently defined as severe, meaning another terror attack is likely. And this is just the UK. Other European countries are experiencing similar levels of threat. The Coptic Christians have been targeted as they travel and even worship. And we have experienced the appalling destruction of entire cities in Syria, causing the mass displacement of innocent civilians. As we look at the world around us, evil is more real than ever. Sin is real in the world, and as we move the lens in closer, sin is real and powerful in individual human lives. As the London terrorists have been named and their last few days have been pieced together, I was struck by two interviews on the news, one with an uncle and one with a neighbour of one of the attackers. Both were appalled, shocked and saddened by the radical change of direction that this young man's life had taken. The uncle who had watched the boy grow up within his family and the neighbour who could recall the attacker as kind and friendly and playing with his children only days before he killed others. We need to be real about the power of evil over human behaviour. But in this letter that we're studying this term, John is magnifying the lens on the Christian life and the powerful way that sin can take the believer's life off course. Now, John was writing to his readers to encourage them to continue to walk in the direction of Christ towards the light in whom there is no darkness and to be on this journey together to enjoy fellowship with each other and with the Father and the Son in the power of the Spirit. And they needed both encouragement and warning as they lived within a culture that was influencing them to take a different route, an inconsistent route where what you believed and how you acted didn't need to connect, where sinful behaviour was tolerated and normalised so that any Christian distinctiveness could go unnoticed, its light would fade and its power to guide one's own life and transform the lives of others would diminish. And as today's readers of John's letter, I think we can relate too to this threat, as our prevailing culture is not too dissimilar, with a huge pressure to conform to society's norms, which seem to be straying ever further away from the gospel. The Christian life today, at times, feels like driving in the wrong direction, down a one-way street. And sin has the power to take each one of us off course, too. John wants us to be real about evil ourselves, because he understands this tension that is within us. You see, earlier on in chapter 2, John explains that he's writing because our sins have been forgiven on account of his that is Christ's name. But he also says he's writing, so that we will not sin. 
So two seemingly opposing purposes here, but ones that explain that tension that we have as Christians. As forgiven people, how can we stand firm in our faith with the ever-present threat of falling into sinful ways? In our passage today, John directly addresses this tension and writes a message of both challenge and assurance about sin in the Christian life. And we're going to look at both under three headings. The reality of sin, the identity of the saved, and the power of the saviour. Do have your Bibles open on page 1226, and uh, you should have a blue batting order that lets you uh, have an idea of the direction in which we're heading. So the reality of sin is not something that John underestimates, defining it as lawlessness. Now, lawlessness goes beyond breaking the law. Rather, it is living, acting, or behaving as if the law didn't even exist. The Old Testament law was that which was essentially revealed to Moses as the Ten Commandments, And when Jesus summarized the law, he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And this is what John is referring to when he calls sin lawlessness. It's living acting, behaving without love for God or for others, no thought for them whatsoever. So sin is not just about the wrong deeds that we do, our outward actions, but the condition of our heart. A heart that does not have love firmly at its centre, but is in tension with love for the world. And sin affects others because when selfish desires take over, it prevents us from truly living in loving community with each other. That is the reality of sin, and it's not to be underestimated. Secondly, in describing the reality of sin, John names sin as an ever-present threat, saying that the devil has been sinning since the beginning. And indeed, If we head to Genesis, we read the origin of sin. The devil there described as the serpent causing Eve to disobey God in pursuit of selfish gain and a desire to be wise like God himself. Elsewhere in the Bible, the devil is referred to as the accuser, the deceiver, the God of this age. And if we jump towards the end, right to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, The devil is still there, referred to as the serpent of old who leads the world astray. Now John has assured us that when Christ comes again, his victory over the devil will be final. But until that time, sin is an ever-present threat in our lives and the devil will continue to stalk us, to influence us to sin and to lead us away from loving God and others. Lawlessness and the ever-present threat of sin create a pretty bleak picture. How are we, therefore, to respond to sin? 
before we look at John's words on how we should respond, I think at this point it's important for us just to stop and recognize the reality of that presence and power of sin in our lives. Because if we don't, we run the risk of underestimating it, minimalizing it, or tolerating it. Can I commend to you this book? It's called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate by Jerry Bridges. It was a summer reading a few years ago. Some of you might be familiar with it. In this, he links the constant presence and real power of the sin that we tolerate in our daily lives with the work of the devil or the deceiver, saying this. Respectable sins are subtle in that they deceive us into thinking they're not so bad, not thinking about them as sins, or even worse, not thinking about them at all. For me, those respectable sins are pride, a lack of self-control, and judgmentalism. Patting myself on the back for things that go well, rather than giving all praise and glory to God. The ease with which I might indulge myself with a treat too many, or the lack of self-discipline in giving God the regular committed time he deserves. Or the times I seek to remove the speck from someone else's eye without first removing the plank from my own. Now, they're all here in this book, and in some respects that's comforting, but it also shows me the reality of the sins that I so often underestimate, minimize, or tolerate in my life. So to recognize the presence and power of sin in us, we need to ask ourselves, what does sin look like in my life? How am I minimalizing or tolerating thoughts or actions that are not honoring to God or others? How have I been tempted in the past? Where in my life are the opportunities for the devil to get a foothold? Understanding the reality of sin is the crucial point to follow John's encouragement to not keep on sinning. Because when we understand the power and presence of sin in our lives, we're able to repent, to turn back to God and turn away from the devil. As John has written earlier, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, we don't need to be heading in the wrong way under the devil's direction. We can follow God's way as purified and forgiven people. And this leads on to our next point. When being real about evil, we need to have confidence in the identity of the saved. Now, I'm sure we've all had uh, experience of what it means to have a clear identity. And here, I'm thinking of uniforms be that school, work, a uniformed organization. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you've no doubt got a picture of a child or grandchild on day one at new school in an enormous blazer. Now, we know that the blazer is too big, partly because they're going to have a huge growth spurt, and so the cost of buying a new one is ridiculous. But we also know mainly that our child is going to grow to fill that blazer over time. 
perhaps we can all recollect, recollect putting on a new uniform for the first time. How it made us feel knowing we had the right to wear it and we belonged in it. So we donned the uniform, and while that doesn't mean we fully understand how to behave or act in every situation that this uniform requires from day one, we are fully entitled to wear it. And the significance that that uniform means for all of its bearers fully applies to us. We'll learn the ropes, we'll become acquainted with the requirements, and we will fully grow into it. And that is rather like our identity in Christ. Because notice that throughout this letter, John doesn't refer to his readers as dear sinners, but dear children, emphasizing the firm foundation on which we face the battle with sin. We are forgiven, loved, and saved children of God, and that identity is secure. We have the right to wear the uniform of followers of Christ, and we don't have to be, and certainly won't be, perfect on day one. Rather, we will grow in our calling to follow Jesus and become more like him. So let's be clear. John writes this letter recognizing that sinful deeds are inevitable in the Christian life, but that those who have made a commitment to follow Christ have changed direction through repentance and their hearts are being transformed. We're on a different route, following a different map, taking us in the direction of increased Christ-likeness and ultimately we will meet Christ face to face and then, as John says earlier, we shall be like him. In the meantime, whilst there may be many bumps on the road or unplanned diversions, when we have come to faith and are children of God, our heart desires to please God, not sin against him. That's what John is saying in verse 6. We don't intentionally continue to live sinful lives that disregard God because we love him. We don't intentionally continue to hate our brother or sister because we find a home in the community of Christ. So our identity is based on a new direction. Secondly, our identity is based on a transformed heart that is only found in Christ. It says, we are righteous only because he is righteous. We can strive not to sin in our own strength, but we will fail time and time again because of that tension within us described earlier by John. Or we can acknowledge that it is only through Christ that we are made right, surrender our lives to him, and let him take control of the steering wheel of our lives, guiding us through the sinful bumps on the road to Christ-likeness. And thirdly, our identity is embedded within us. God hasn't abandoned us, but is with us through the Holy Spirit, described here as God's seed, which remains in us. It's by the power of the Spirit that we continue to live, love, and grow in the direction of Christ and away from the devil's schemes. 
Last Sunday here was an all-age service. We had some baptisms, and we heard parents and godparents making baptism vows, vows that remind us that when we turn to Christ, we actively turn away from the devil and reject evil. We reject the devil, renounce evil, and repent of the sins that separate us from God and neighbor in order to turn to Christ as Lord and Savior and follow his way. It's a complete change of direction. Our change of direction is absolute, but we are all work in progress. John has reminded us in previous verses that what we will be has not yet been made known. But he also gives us the insurance that we can feel safe in our identity because we are righteous as he is righteous. But notice he also gives us a bit of a litmus test in verse 10 to check that we are continuing to head in the right direction, referring back to the law. Are we loving God and are we loving others in community? So as we reflect on our identity, it's worth pondering what direction are we traveling in? Perhaps we feel on the outskirts of faith, longing to be a child of God, but yet to take that road that leads us to the center. Perhaps make that a prayer today to ask Jesus to take the steering wheel to be the center of your life. Perhaps we know we've made that U-turn. We're going in Christ's direction, but we feel insecure about our identity because there are some sinful diversions that we need to bring to the Lord today. Or perhaps we feel fully confident of the direction in which we're traveling and have done so for many years, but just want to reaffirm that today. We don't need to doubt our identity if we are in Christ we can wear the uniform of dearly loved children of God, saved from the power of sin by the death and resurrection of Christ with absolute confidence. And this leads to our third point. When being real about evil, we need to trust in the power of the Saviour. In this passage, John tells us two things about Christ that we can trust in. His redemptive power and his purposeful power. Verse 5 tells us that Christ came to take away our sins. He is our saviour. The one in him there is no sin came from heaven to earth, not just to be a good role model to us, though indeed he is the perfect one, but to bear the burden of our sins on the cross, to redeem us, that we might be counted righteous. We can only be real about sin because of Christ's death and resurrection. Secondly, we read in verse 8 that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Christ came with a purpose, to free us from the power that sin has on our lives. Yes, the devil remains a real and present threat, but he need not define us or rule over us. Yes, we will continue to sin, but we will not be characterized by it. If we let the Spirit be at work in our lives, he will bear fruit in our character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We have a saviour with both power and purpose. A saviour who came for the very purpose of destroying the devil's work and in doing so to take away the sins of all who turn to him. But achieving this purpose was costly. God gave his only son that we might be called children of God and he calls us not just to acknowledge him as saviour but follow him as Lord. So again, it's just time to reflect for ourselves. Where is Jesus in our battle with sin? Is he on the fringe? Have we put him on the sidelines of this battle because we think we have to deal with it by ourselves? Jesus has redemptive power and can set us free from the hold that sin might be having over us. Is Jesus there as comforter and friend, but not as Lord? Jesus used purposeful power to defeat the devil and wants to do that each day that we struggle with sin if we would turn completely to him and follow his direction. Is sin something that we're tolerating at the moment? Jesus used costly power that we might be called children of God. Let's make him Lord of all aspects of our lives and let him lead us in the way of righteousness. The world seems to be entrenched with evil at the moment, perhaps more than ever, and society seems to be going in the wrong direction, heading further and further away from the Creator God, Heavenly Father, and loving Saviour. As we recognise the evil in the world at large, if we are to be a light to those around us and bring hope of a better society one in which God is at the centre and we love each other in community, we need to be real about the sin in our lives, confident about our identity in Christ, through whom we can approach the Father as a dearly loved child, and committed to following our Lord and Saviour in the power of the Spirit. We can wear our uniform with humility and thankfulness that Christ is all we need to conquer sin. Amen.